I started a sermon series last week called How to Deal with Difficult People. How many remembers that? And um, I had prepared to preach that this morning, but I, uh, and I'm not trying to be mystical or super spiritual, but honestly, I felt the Holy Spirit apprehended me to change my sermon. And so, um, is it okay with you if I change what I had planned? Is that all right? How many would just say, Pastor, I trust you that you're following the Holy Spirit. And so I just want to follow the Spirit. I'm sorry that I've gotten off the course. And I know this is the week of Thanksgiving and you've got to go and be with family that you don't want to be with. But, and I know that you were hoping that I would tell you how to deal with difficult people. But I'm just asking you to put a smile on your face and fake it till you make it and love Jesus anyway. All right, so, all right, don't, don't cause any trouble at the table. Just learn to eat your chicken in peace or your turkey in peace, all right? So happy Thanksgiving. And so uh, there's no church this Wednesday night. So you have Wednesday night off from church. And so don't show up Wednesday night because we won't be here. So have the week to celebrate Thanksgiving uh, and and. Have a good time. So I'm going to go to the Lord in prayer and I'm going to get right into the Word. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus, our Lord. Thank you for this opportunity that we have together in your house to look at your Word today. We pray that your Word would go forth in power, your Word would go forth in boldness, and everybody said a great big amen. This morning I want to preach on the thought, the best of times in the worst of times. Would you say that with me? The best of times... Say it again, the best of times in the worst of times. We stand at a crossroads as a nation and as a church. We are so divided as a people. Our nation is very divided. Not only is our nation divided, but our church is divided. The global church is divided. And I'm not even sure in all my years of ministry that I've ever seen such division like I see today. We have become so segregated and so torn apart over issues that it seems like we can't even agree on the smallest issues. There was a time that we could disagree on something and be friends. We could respectfully disagree. But now... Our disagreement is interpreted as hatred and intolerant. Our world is quickly changing, ladies and gentlemen. It is not the same world that my grandparents grew up in. And it is certainly not the same world that your grandparents grew up in. Our definition of marriage has changed. Our understanding of what a male and female is, is changing. Our schools have become a modern day war zone. Our society seems to protect animals more than they protect our children. And yet there are times I think that we are so smart, and yet at the same times we are not wise. We are busier than any other nation in the world. And yet it seems like we accomplish nothing. We are going faster, and yet we are not going anywhere. We have more education and more technology than any other, any other nation on earth, and yet it seems like we are more sick and depleted than ever. We have the ability to conquer space. And yet at the same time, we can't conquer our carnal habits. As a pastor, I'm very concerned. Do you know why I'm concerned, my friends? I'm concerned because I look at the church and I see disturbing trends. The church of Jesus, especially in America, in America, we have become so exalted in our trends that we have promoted trends over truth. Hype over holiness. Rights over righteousness. Performance over power. 
money over ministry. Modern day preachers are not preachers anymore. They're just motivational speakers. Pastors can't pastor anymore. Pastors are just puppets controlled by the sensitivity of those who sit in church pews week after week. Our worship services are not worship as we proclaim on our billboards. Worship at 11 o'clock. Worship is more feeling driven than it is faith driven. It is more it is more seeker driven than spirit driven. Our worship services are more concerned about how we can tickle the ears of those who sit in the audience more than we are encouraged to seek after the heart of God. I'm concerned that modern day Christianity in America, we have a bunch of baptized pagans sitting under a church steeple. The real problem in America is that some folks are not saved. And we're trying to disciple people who are not saved. Preachers are about to lose their mind trying to get people involved and attend church and read the Bible. And the problem is, is you're not saved. Because Jesus said in the last days, many will say, Lord, I have known you. And he will say, depart from me, I have never known you. True conversion means your appetite has been changed. Therefore, if anybody be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. If there is not an appetite for God, you are unconverted, uncircumcised, still in your sin, and yet to meet God in judgment. The problem is, is people think they're saved because they were baptized years ago, and they attend church once in a while. And your soul is hanging in the balance of eternity. We are more concerned about giving our pets food than we are giving in this, this morning tithe and offering. We spend more on dog food in America than we give to missionaries. We don't cast out devils no more. We counsel them. Preeminence and prosperity and position seems to be the holy trinity of the church. But listen to what the prophet said. The prophet said in Isaiah 59, describing the day in which he lived, the prophet said it like this, and I quote, So justice is driven back, and righteousness stands at a distance. Truth has stumbled in the streets, and honesty cannot enter. Truth is nowhere to be found, and whoever shuns evil becomes a prey. My friends, isn't that the picture of our society? Truth has fallen in the streets, and honesty cannot enter? Oh, we don't want truth, do we? We would prefer a puppet as a preacher. Because if we are confronted with the truth, We'll go down the street to the other church. And you repeat the same cycle all your life. You never confront your real issues. Discernment is something of the past because the greatest enemy to discernment is desire. And our desire has become so infiltrated that we no longer can discern anything. The Bible says Paul echoed the same words in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. He said, for the time will come, he said, that people will not put up with sound doctrine. Indeed, he said, instead they will suit their own desires and they will gather around a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. And they will turn away from the truth and turn aside to fables or myths. You see, that is where we are as a nation. And that is where we are as a church. Last month I preached on sexual immorality. 
I listed that fornication was homosexuality, immorality of premarital sex, and you get the point. And although I'm not offended by this, but this is the stark reality of where we're at. Had two people leave our church because they could not agree that fornication could be homosexuality. Or that premarital sex or cohabitation is not acceptable. And I thought about this. I never thought that I would live in a day that in a conservative, evangelical, Pentecostal church, we would have to defend what the Scripture has to say. But ladies and gentlemen, this is where we are at in the modern church in America. And if we don't wake up, your children is going to live in a world that you don't even recognize even from today. And if we don't start putting what priority is what priority and the main thing should be the main thing, you and I are on a slippery slope to, to backslide. If you're not intentional on going forward, you will be unintentional going back. You have to put effort in this thing. You've got to press towards this thing. You see, John Wesley said, today's compromise will be tomorrow's captivity. And what you compromise today will turn into captivity tomorrow. John Wesley, that great 17th, 18th century revivalist, said, give me a hundred preachers who fear nothing but sin and have no desire but God and I'll show them, I'll show you who can shake the gates of hell. I pray to God that God would raise up another John Wesley and another Martin Luther, another John Calvin. Give us, Lord, somebody who is not afraid to stand up for scriptural holiness and stand up for what's right, and it doesn't matter who says what without fear or favor, and they will stand no matter what. I said, no matter what. We have caved under the pressure of tolerance. We are more concerned about feelings than we are truth. Let me ask you, let me ask you a question. Now, I'm just preaching, okay? Let me just ask you a question. What if we would take away the cool music and the lights, the screens, what if we took away your cushioned chairs this morning? What if we took away the heat or the air conditioning? What if we took away this nice building? Would you still come? Is Jesus still enough? What if we didn't have children's ministry? Could you have enough patience to sit in church with your children? Is Jesus still enough? Is the Bible still enough? Is truth still enough? Oh, I love buildings. love screens. I, I like all of it. You do too. We all like it. We like comfortable. I like, I like it. There ain't nothing wrong with it. But is Jesus still enough? Is Jesus still the love of our life? Is Jesus still our everything? I know, I know we're so infiltrated by humanism. He's my everything. That's why you fall apart when he walks out the door. She's my everything. That's why you fall apart when she walks out the door. Oh, love is strong and love is emotional and love is great. But nobody should have preeminence in your life except Jesus Christ and Him alone. Because people will leave you. People will disappoint you. And people will hurt you. You've got to find your security in something deeper than a human being. You see, it certainly is discouraging if you look at our nation. It's certainly discouraging if you look at the church. Charles Dickens wrote in his novel called A Tale of Two Cities. Do you remember it? He said, it's the best of times. It's also the worst of times. He said it like this in his novel, and I quote, 
Charles Dickens said, it's the best of times, it's the worst of times, it's the age of wisdom, it's the age of foolishness, it's the season of light, it's the season of darkness. It was the spring of hope. It's the winter of despair. We had everything before us. We had nothing before us. We were all going direct to heaven, and yet we were all going direct the other way. Charles Dickens made this this contrast. It's the best of times, but yet it's it's the worst of times. And, And I think I would agree with him, especially as you look at America and you look at the global church or the church in America. I think I would agree with Charles Dickens. I see it's the worst of times. But Pastor Engel, I can't help but to think it's also the best of times. I know it's discouraging when you look around, but there's something inside of me that kind of believes, although it's discouraging, there's something on the inside of me that believes that maybe, just maybe, just maybe, we are living in the best time ever ordained of God. Just maybe. You know what? You know, I'm encouraged as I've tried to be a student of the Bible. This book has become my food. I have tried my best to study it, read it over and over, memorize it. I'm not perfect at it. I don't understand everything. But I've tried to be a disciple and to learn it, and to quote it, and to fill my mind with it. Because if it not, my emotions and insecurities would have the best of me. So I, I try to fill the deficit of my life with something eternal. And so, I can't help but to think, Pastor Brandon, that when I look at the Bible, that you see that same principle. It's bad, but yet, somehow, it's good. Somehow, if you look at the Bible, you see seasons of decline, seasons of corruption, and then you see seasons of revival, Seasons of refreshing. Seasons of awakening. You see them both working together. And so as I read the Bible, I can't be discouraged. I've got to be aware that we're living in perilous times. But at the same time, I'm encouraged because when I read the Bible, it seems as though there's always someone or a group of people or a remnant that God has, even in perilous times. Even in rough times, even in seasons of wilderness and despair and despondency, God seems to have a group of people or someone that is always following His heart. In other words, He has a group of people that will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. They will not hesitate under the pressure of adversity. They will not negotiate at the table of the enemy. They will not ponder at the pool of popularity. They will not meander in the maze of mediocrity. There is a group of people that God always has. This group of people will not be bought. They won't compromise. They won't be detoured. And they won't turn back. You know who this people is? It's the true church of Jesus Christ. And Jesus said to Peter, Upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I want to let you know today, I want to let you know today, they can talk about the church, people will leave the church, people will say all kinds of things about the church, they will make their list about how the church has hurt them. They will try to Defame the church. But I want to let you know, it's been here for 2,000 years, and the true church of Jesus is going to live on in spite of people's opposition and obstacles, what they say and their opinions. And I want to let you know, whether you come and sit in that seat Sunday after Sunday, it don't matter. I want you to come. But the church of Jesus Christ will live on, and it will still 
thrive and it will still thrive and it will still succeed because it's built not upon your opinions. It's not built upon some bylaws. It's not built upon somebody at a headquarters somewhere. It's built upon the apostles and the prophets and upon the message of Jesus Christ and nothing, I said nothing, I said nothing, 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 nothing shall prevail against the church of Jesus Christ. Nothing. It is strong. It is live and as well. Whether you want to be a part of it, it's left up to you. But the church of Jesus Christ is not for wimps. It's not for cowards. It's not for those who retreat and go back. There is no such thing as backsliding. There's no such thing as quitting and giving up. You're called to be a part of the living church of Jesus Christ, composed of an army who is empowered by the Spirit of God. How can you quit when the same Spirit that lives on the inside of you has raised Christ from the dead? You're not called to quit. You're not called to lay down the crown. You're not called to stop swimming. You're called to be victorious. You're called to persevere. You're called to endure. For they that shall endure to the end shall be saved. Is there anybody in the building that can lift up your hand and say, I'm not a quitter. I'm not giving up. I'm not backing up. I'm not stopping praying. I'm not giving up. I'm going to press through to victory. Press through to victory. Come on, is there anybody that can wave your hand and say, I'm victorious. I'm going all the way. I'm not giving up. Remain standing. Give God a praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of God forever. And I prophesy as your pastor and the spiritual father of this house that this church is strong. This church is mighty. And the greatest days are ahead. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. Hallelujah. Amen. Amen. Can we just take a few moments? I, you know, sometimes I just get a little excited. I want you to take a few moments and just raise both of your hands and say, Lord, do it again. Do it again. Do it again, Lord. Do it again. Hallelujah. I said hallelujah. For those that feel discouraged this morning, be encouraged. Those who feel like you can't go on any longer, I prophesy to you, be strong and be courageous. The Lord God Almighty is the Lord of hosts. He has went before you and He's fighting for you. Hallelujah. You may be seated. The Bible says in 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 18, the Bible says, listen to the words of the prophet, who the prophet was discouraged because he looked around the nation and thought he was the only one serving God. The Bible says in 1 Kings 19 verse 18, God said to the prophet, Yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose need has not bowed down to Baal and whose mouth has not kissed him. Let us not think that we're the only ones. God has a group of people. You see, it's interesting to me that as you look at the Bible, you see a, a cycle. And I just want to just, won't take long, but I just want to share something with you. There's a cycle that goes on in the Bible. And I don't have time to dissect all of the Scriptures, but I just do want to look at a book and see a few Scriptures about how a cycle, how you see God moving in a cycle. And I believe it's important that we look at it because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 15 and verse number 4, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement we might have hope. 
So everything in the Bible was written for our encouragement. Everything was written for our endurance. Everything. People who give up, and let me just break up, people who give up on Jesus, give up, they're not reading the Bible. You're just not. You just, it, it just, I have never known somebody, I've never known somebody, who has a daily, if you don't have a daily devotional life, you will have an emotional life. I have not met anybody who has consistently pursued Jesus in prayer and the Word that's just given up. I've not. I've not met him. If you're not intentionally going forward, you're unintentionally going back. You have to be intentional about it. Because you wake up when Christians don't blow out, Christians leak out. That's why you wake up one day and say, What happened to my marriage? What's wrong with, why do I feel this way? Because it's been years that there's been cracks in your character, cracks in your devotional life, and you've just let it go. You haven't been intentional about it. And if you're not intentional about going forward, you will be intentional about going back. And then you'll wake up 20 years later wondering, what's wrong with my life? You've got to be intentional about your spiritual development. You have to be intentional. I'm not saying that you won't have hard times. And I'm not saying there won't be rough times. But what I am saying, there's a power that works in you and through you to accomplish the purpose of God even in your weaknesses. You hear me? Did you hear me? And it's interesting to me. It's interesting to me. that there's a cycle in the book of Judges. And it's a repetitive cycle. Now, get it, get it. This is the cycle. In the book of Judges, the people of God departed from God. They sinned against God. And then after they departed, there was this chastisement. Okay? God corrected them. And what do I mean by that? Well, God would send a neighboring country, or you send an oppressor to oppress them. And then they would cry out, God, forgive us, God, forgive us, God, forgive us. they come back to God, and God would deliver them. And that's the cycle. Over and over. They departed from God. God corrected them. They cried to God, and God delivered them. And let me say this. I know God is loving, and God is kind, and generous, and gracious, but if you name the name of God as your Father... He will correct you. Because fathers correct their children. If parents don't correct their children, you're not much of a parent. Parents correct their children. You say, well, my, my, my baby is an angel. Well, so wasn't Lucifer. And when I was growing up, they bend me over and introduced me to the gospel. You should never have... Don't ask your child, you want to go to church today? You're the parent! You don't ask your child if they want to go to church. It's your house, you pay the bills, they abide by it, and they can make their own decision when they turn 18. But you're responsible for their soul until they leave the house. It's but Well, I don't want to hurt their self-esteem. You're going to stand, who, who are you going to stand before? God or your little baby on Judgment Day? And if Johnny's feelings get hurt because he has to go to church twice in a week, then it's okay to hurt their feelings. They departed from God. He would correct them. They cried out to God. And God delivered them. And you know what? If, if we don't cry to God in seasons that's worse, we become a monument more than a movement. And that's what's happened. We get stuck in a rut. 
and the church has become a monument instead of a movement. Because we get stuck in our sin. We get stuck in ruts. And that's what's happened in the book of Judges. The people of God did evil in the sight of God. Over and over in the book of Judges. It's horrible. I mean, they kept serving Astroth and Bel and participated in sexual immorality. They presented their children to Moloch. They burned their children at altars. They participated in sexual orgies. The people of God rebelled against the Word of God and the commandments of God. Then God would correct them. And then they would cry to God, forgive us, Lord. And then Lord would deliver them. Thank God. I want to say this. When I read the book of Judges, I say, thank you, Jesus, that even though I'm found in my sin, and even though you delivered me several times, thank you that you have enough grace and mercy to deliver me again. And let me just say this. Some of us, we get up and preach, He's the God of the second chance. Let me just break it down to you. Some of you have already used up your second chance. He's the God of another chance. And He's the God of another chance. He's the God of another chance. And so when you read the book of Judges, God was grace, gracious and merciful to them. Just, I can't read all the Scriptures, but I, I know that you trust me when you, I know you trust me or I wouldn't be your pastor. So I want you to see here, just, I can't read all of it, just, it'll be behind me, but just notice this, okay? And I'm almost done. Judges chapter 2, verse number 11. Judges chapter number 2, verse number 11. Look what happens. The children of Israel did what? Evil in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says, verse 12, they forsook the Lord. Alright? They forsook the Lord who brought them out of the land of Egypt. Verse number 13, they forsook the Lord and followed Baal and Astroth. The Bible says, verse 14, the anger of the Lord was kindled hot against them. And what did He do? He delivered them into the plunder, the enemy. You see the cycle? They forsook the Lord. The Lord chastised them. What happens? The Bible says they continue to depart from the Lord. Look at it. Judges chapter 3, verse number 7. They continue to depart from the Lord. The Bible says, and the children of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. I mean, these people are really rebelling against God. But guess what happens? Judges chapter 3, verse number 9. The Bible says, and when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, what did the Lord do? He raised up a deliverer. I am thankful for God's grace and mercy. Now let me say something. God is the only person that I know that will bring you out of a mess and then won't hold it against you. Can I say that again? God is the only person I know that will bring you out of a mess and forgive you and won't hold your past against you or bring it up. He's the only person I know. And here these people are departing from God and guess what happened? They cried to the Lord and the Lord delivered them. And then the Bible says, look at it. Look at a few verses down. Judges chapter 3, verse 12. What happens? They departed from the Lord again. Now how in the world can the Lord be so good to you, deliver you from your mess, and you leave the Lord again? Church, that is the struggle of the human heart. We all struggle with it. We want to please God. We want to do what's right. But at the same time, there's something in us that wants to do what's wrong. And these people fell back into it over and over. And guess what happened? Verse 15, Judges 3, verse 15, they cried to the Lord again. And what did the Lord do? He sent another deliverer over and over. God is good. Judges chapter 6, verse 1, they departed again. The Israel, Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The Lord handed them over to the Midianites. Judges chapter 6, verse 7, look at it. They cried out to the Lord. The Midianites is against them, coming against them. Of course, you know the story. God raised up a deliverer. Who was he? Gideon. God's good. But what about Judges chapter 10, verse 6, after Gideon delivered them? Guess what happened? Gideon delivered them. And you would think after Gideon delivered them that they would stay faithful to God, but no. The Bible says, and Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. The verse number 13 of chapter 10, they forsook the Lord 
They forsook it all. And the Bible says, go to verse 14. And the Bible says, they, and the Lord, this is what the Lord said to him. The Lord was so upset with these people because He delivered them from the hand of the Midianites through Gideon. And now they forsook the Lord. And the Lord said to them, you know what you need to do? You need to go cry to your gods. And let's see if your gods will save you in your trouble. I mean, God had an attitude with them. You have the right to leave me? Why don't you go cry out to your gods and see if they can help you? Go cry to them. Go cry out to your gods you've chosen. Let's see if they save you from your trouble. Verse 15, But the Israelite says, We've sinned! And they're desperate. Lord, do whatever you think is best. We're desperate. Have you ever been there? God's been so good to you. He delivered you out of all your messes. And then you fall right back into the trouble and you come to a place of desperation that, Lord, whatever you need to do, I'm yours. Do you see yourself in this? Judges 17, verse 6. Or Judges 13, verse 1. And Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Judges 17, verse 6. And in those days there was no king and they did whatever they wanted to do. They did whatever they saw fit. Judges 21-25 says the same thing. And in those days there was no king and everyone did what was fit. And I thought about this. Now don't lose Pastor Josh. I thought about this. What was the issue? What's, what's the issue? And there's a scripture about a particular king in 2 Chronicles 25 verse 2. And I want you to pay attention to what the author says about this king. He says, he did what was right, this particular king, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not wholeheartedly. Could it be that maybe the reason that there's a struggle all the time is because we're doing what's right, we do the right activity, but our heart is not with it? Jesus said, you worship me with your lips, but your heart is far from me. So what is the problem? What was the problem in the book of Judges? The reason I believe that there was this departure and chastisement and they cry out and God deliver them, they did the right stuff. They repented. They put sackcloth. They put ashes on. They repented. They said the right things, but their heart was divided. And ladies and gentlemen, I'm convinced that it's possible to serve God with a divided heart. Do you love God with everything? Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. Peter, do you love me? Of course I love you. A third time, do you love me, Peter? Peter got aggravated and said, Lord, I love you. What was the Lord trying to convey to Peter? Peter, do you love me with everything? Is your heart divided? Do you love me perfectly? John Wesley said in the book Christian Perfection, he said, and I quote, it's possible to love God half-heartedly and not love God perfectly. What does it mean to love God perfectly? It means to love God with all of your heart, your mind, your soul, and your will. That's what it means to love God with everything. And I am not sure if we've ever reached that level to love God with everything. Evangelical Christianity in the U.S. is often characterized by a deep desire to have Christianity pervade our culture but not have Christianity permeate our being. John Wesley said, and I quote before he died, he said, I, I continue to dream and pray about a revival of holiness in our day that moves forth in the mission, creates authentic community in which each person can be unleashed through the empowerment of the Spirit to fulfill God's creational intentions. A revival that will shake the gates of hell. The early church wanted to know, what must I do to be saved? But the American church wants to know, what can I do and still be saved? How far can I push the envelope? How many church attendances can I miss without me backsliding? How, how, how much Bible reading can I go without? How much can I do without? You see the difference? The mindset? The culture? You see, see the difference? 
You see, Christianity is not a Sunday thing. It's not something you do on Sunday. It's something that you live. It's something that you abide in. It's something that changes your life. It's something that grabs a hold of you and changes your heart. It's something that touches you from the top of your head and shoots out the bottom of your feet. It's something that empowers you to be missional. It's something that changes you to be more like Jesus. I'm talking about an authentic change in your life. Let me, let me, can I say this? Let me hear the words of this preacher. Are you saved? I'm not talking about are you going to church? Or you pray a little bit on Tuesday morning or read a scripture on your Bible app? Are you genuinely born again? Are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Have you been empowered from the Spirit on high? Is there an unction and a power inside of you to live a holy life for God? What if? What if better? Because we always want to get better, don't we? What if better is not always higher? What if better is sometimes deeper? What if better is not a feeling? What if better is not always what God is doing for you, but maybe better is what God is doing in you that you cannot see? Why am I preaching this so heavily? I'm preaching a general message because it's birthed in prayer. Because I want to tell you what the Bible says. The Bible says... If we really want genuine Holy Spirit empowerment, if we really want a Holy Spirit encounter, if we want a revival like we've never seen before, I'm telling you the secret. You know what the secret is? When you cry to the Lord. When you, we are in a nation that's departed from God. You see, ladies and gentlemen, the church is divided. How is the church divided? The church is not divided in denominations anymore. There are two churches. It is the true church and the apostate church. We don't divide by dominations anymore. It's two churches. You're either in the real church or the apostate church or the fallen church. And you will see on TV the fallen apostate church, the whore of Babylon drinking the blood of the saints upon the beast. We see it right in front of us. So you're either a part of the true church or the apostate church. You're either the wheat or you're either the tear. You're either part of the light or you're part of the darkness. The line has been drawn in the sand, ladies and gentlemen, and there is a great separation between the sheep and the goats. And there is a call from God. And you know what the call of God is? The call of God is this. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, verse 19, listen to the words of the Apostle. And I quote, Repent therefore and be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that the times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If we want a Holy Ghost filled fire baptized revival, it only happens when God's people get on their face and repent and ask God for a move of God that will not only shake the White House, but the crack house, the poor house, and the church house. Somebody say amen. I said somebody say amen. What do you mean I'm talking about a broken and contrite heart before God? You say, well, preacher, I don't need it. Somebody needs it. You say, preacher, you're preaching because you, we, don't hear, we don't hear this preaching often anymore. And I'm telling you today, God is requiring wholeheartedness. It's possible that you can do what's right and not serve Him wholeheartedly. God wants wholeheartedness. He wants all of your heart. And why is that? If you don't give Him your whole heart, the Bible says in this Scripture, when I read it, I cried. I cried. Because the Bible brings life, folks. It does. It does something to you. And I read this, and it spoke to me. 1 Kings chapter 22. 
I didn't give it to the media, but if you could put it up there, it would be helpful. First Kings chapter 22. Look at this scripture. I believe it's one of the saddest scriptures in the Bible. First Kings chapter 22 and verse number 48. Verse number 48. First Kings chapter 22 and verse number 48. Listen to the words. First Kings 22 verse 48. The Bible says that Jehoshaphat made a merchant ship to go to Orpha for gold, but they never sailed. Ships that never sail. And as your pastor, I don't want to look across the congregation and see ships that never sailed. That stuck at port. That never progress in God. That never go forward. That never experience what God has for them. Because we're stuck at port. Don't be a ship that is stuck at port. Push. Be intentional. Serve Him wholeheartedly. Give Him your all. I talk about me because I can't talk about you. I was a little boy in a little church in West Virginia on a Sunday night where I heard the Holy Spirit say to me, Woe unto you if you preach not the Gospel. And that eight-year-old little boy with streams going down my face and I shook because my grandma and them is shouting and praying at the altar, and I knew it was real. I sensed it in the building. Didn't know what it was. But my life was forever changed because I heard from God. I told the Lord I wanted to serve Him all my life. I'm not perfect. And I'm asking you to serve God wholeheartedly. Give Him your all. Don't be a ship that never sells. Whatever you got to do, give it your all. If it's worth living for, it's worth dying for. And if it's not worth dying for, please go do something else. Make up your mind that you're going to give it your all. You're going to serve Him with everything you have. Why did I preach this? Because I love you. I'm your pastor. I'm God's mouthpiece. I want you to love God more than anything. I want you to love God more than anything. I want you to love God more than anything. I said I want you to love God more than anything. Is there anybody in the building say, Pastor, I want to love God I want to love God. You know what? There was an African pastor right before he died. He died. He was martyred for the Gospel. They went in his little hut and they found this little script of paper in his hut. And this little African pastor wrote this right before he died. And I quote, he said, I am a part of the fellowship committed to doing whatever it takes. I have the Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. I'm out of the comfort zone. My decision has been made. I'm a disciple of His. I won't look back. I won't let up. I won't slow down. I won't back away. 
My past is redeemed. My present makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished with low living, sight walking, small planning, smooth knees, colorless dreams, tame visions, Monday talking, and dwarf dreams. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotion, or popularity. I don't have to be right. I don't have to be first. I don't have to be top. I don't have to be recognized. I don't have to be praised. I don't have to be rewarded or recognized. I now live in the presence of God. I lean by faith, learn by patience, lifted by prayer, and I labor by power. My face is set towards the goal. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow and my way is rough. My companions are few. My God is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, or delayed. I am a child of God. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice. I will not hesitate in the presence of adversity or negotiate the table of the enemy. I won't give up, shut up, let up, or burn up until I have prayed up, paid up, stored up, stayed up for the cause of Christ. I am a disciple of Jesus and I will go until I drop, preach until all I know, and work until he tells me to stop. Until he calls my name, I will have no problem working for him until he recognizes me as I am a part of the committed fellowship of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! So I prophesy, be strong, be courageous. He hasn't called you to quit. He hasn't called you to give up. Hallelujah. I prophesy that that coward spirit on the inside of you, I cast it out of you. I command the Spirit of God to rise up on the inside of you and be the man and the woman God's called you to be. Hallelujah. We don't got time for this coward business. Jesus is coming back. So be strong and courageous. The Lord told Joshua, be strong and courageous for every place you put your foot. I'll give it to you. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 I know y'all want to go home, but I just feel happy right now. I said I feel happy right now. Because every time I'm hurt, He heals me. Every time I'm blind, He leads me. When I face trials, He's with me. When I face persecution, He shields me. When I face problems, He comforts me. When I face loss, He provides for me. When I fail, He lifts me up. When I'm weak, He's strong. When I'm lost, He's the way. When I stumble, He stables me. When I'm hurt, He heals me. When I'm broken, He mends me. When I'm blind, He leads me. When I'm hungry, He feeds me. I cannot give up. Hallelujah! I said, hallelujah, how can you give up when it goes before you as a cloud and a pillar of fire by night? You can't give up. Hallelujah.